1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 7. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. And displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. A dad was putting his daughter to bed after her first day of kindergarten. He said, honey, can I pray for you? Is there anything you want me to pray for? And she said, dad, would you pray that tomorrow... When I'm on the playground, my stomach will not hurt. He said, oh, honey, I didn't know that you didn't feel well today. What happened? And she said, well, the little five-year-old told her dad what happened on the playground today. She didn't know anybody at school. First day, she saw a couple of girls, so she went up to them and said, can I play with you? And they said, yeah. He said, tell you what, stay right here for a moment. We'll be right back. And they ran off giggling. And she waited and waited and waited. And then she said, Dad, would you pray that tomorrow at school on the playground that my stomach won't hurt anymore? My guess is everybody in this room knows the pain that she described in that moment. We know the pain of loneliness. And for you, it may not be on a playground and maybe instead, not being able to sit at the lunch table. Or maybe it's seen on social media, some friends of yours that got together and you weren't included. Maybe it's not being included in a meeting at work and you think you should have been invited to be a part of that. Maybe it's sitting by yourself when you're surrounded by others. Maybe we've outgrown the playground, but we may not have outgrown that same feeling. Mother Teresa said the most devastating disease in the world today is not leprosy or cancer, it's loneliness. 
And loneliness doesn't have that much to do with whether people are around you or not. You can feel lonely and be surrounded by people. Some of you know that. Even this very moment. It's not being alone that makes you feel lonely. It's feeling alone. And we underestimate the the physical part of loneliness. We tend to think of it as just an emotion or maybe a mood or a state of mind, but it takes its toll. I was reading about this, that loneliness increases the mortality rate about the same as smoking. Loneliness is twice as bad for your health as obesity. It affects your immune function and boosts inflammation. It can cause all kinds of health issues. Think about it. The way God created the world, the book of Genesis tells us that every day he would create something and then step back and evaluate it. And the Bible would repeatedly over say God saw that it was good. But when he created man, do you remember what he said? It's not good that man should be alone. So God, the creator, the architect who made us in his image says, I created you for community, for togetherness. For relationships. You need to have people. From the very beginning of time, it's the way God wired us. In our study of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2, we're going to see what that looks like. And it's not an image of marriage. It's not really talking about parents having children. It's not even talking about the nuclear family at all. It's talking about just people. It's just the way he made us. It's God's design to be with others. And what we learn in this passage in 1 Thessalonians is that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have an uncommon togetherness. We have a commitment to one another. You know that when you come to church, you come first and foremost to worship God, but there's more to it than that. It's also to be together. Otherwise, you can just stay home and worship. We are to be together. You know that's what church means. And that church should never be a playground where anybody gets that achy feeling in their stomach. The church should model this more than anywhere else. For today's message, I'm not going to look at all of 7 through 20. I want to kind of hone in on verses 17 through 20. I want you to see this. I put this on the screen. Number one, meaningful community is based on heartfelt commitment to each other. That's the C word, community. Meaningful community is based on heartfelt commitment. There's that other C word to each other. And that needs to be acknowledged. It takes commitment. Here's what I also want you to acknowledge. Not all who want community want to make commitments. We want it. We want the togetherness, but we're not as eager to make the commitment. But you don't get the community if you don't make the commitment. And in large part, that's why we find ourselves being lonely. It's because we've not made the commitment to connect with people. In fact, the depth of community that you experience in life is often related to the depth of your commitment to people. And this is what we see in this whole chapter. I just want to read all those verses to you. Remember the setting here. We talked about this from Acts chapter 17. Paul had to run for his life. He had enemies. They were coming after him. They'd already came after Jason and arrested them. They were coming after Paul. So they snuck him out at night. Now think about what that means. He had been with the church, had taught them, he grew to love them, and now he had to sneak out and just to save his own neck. He never had a chance to say goodbye. He never had the opportunity to kind of wrap it up and say, now as I leave, I want you to know this. He didn't have that. So he writes this letter, and he feels compelled to express himself. 
And so what you find in this chapter is all this affectionate words that just kind of come out of him. All this is an example of what you and I should have when we think about each other. Look at verse 17 again. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavor the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. I want you to notice the language here that Paul uses. He wants them to know that they're loved, that they're cherished. He wants them to know he is committed to them. Evidently, some people would come in after him and said, Paul left. He didn't care about you. He's abandoned you. Where's Paul? If he really cared, he would have stayed instead of just looking out for his own neck. Somebody was saying something ugly about him. And notice how Paul, how he words this. Over and over in this chapter, he uses very strong emotional language. And he uses family terms here. He had no problem committing to them. I'm committed to you. If you go back, starting verse 7, like a mother, like a father. Over and over again, he calls them brothers. Family terms. That's how he felt about them. The NIV says, instead of being torn away from you, brothers, we were orphaned. When I was reading through that, I thought, that's a strong word and kind of a peculiar way of using that term. And so I looked it up and said, what is the Greek word there? And the Greek word there, that's exactly what that means. That's an accurate translation. That's how he felt about these people. And that is what the church is supposed to be. Now, that all sounds nice. And we can talk, yes, yes, that's our goal. But this is more and more difficult to accomplish, especially in our day, in our society. Increasingly, we measure relationships by connection rather than commitment. By connections rather than commitment. Let me show you how this is happening. I put a couple of numbers on the screen. In 2008, the U.S. population, using some kind of social media platform, in 2008, 10%. Not many, 10%. Guess what the number is now? 79. In just over 10 years, the use of any of the social media formats has grown that much. Now, that's as high as 90% with some of our young adults. But they've kind of tapered off, even decreasing. But those who are older, that percentage is surging. That is what is happening with our culture. Almost everybody has a social media platform. Now, not being critical, a lot of good things can come from that. But what we're learning is an overuse of social media is having just the opposite effect of what we think it could be, should be. Instead of connecting with friends and maybe extended family and people you used to go to school with or used to work with, maybe you live in another state and you can have all those connections and and that's good, but what we're noticing in doing all of that, it's leaving us less than instead of more. Instead of feeling a need, it's having just the opposite effect. The Wall Street Journal published an article in May 2017. It said, increased use of social media resulted in increased feelings of isolation. Now, just the opposite of what you would think, right? The more you're connecting with people, interacting with people, you would feel better, less isolated. Not true. It's just the opposite effect. Loneliness is up 100% from what it was a number of years ago. About 40% of adults who say they feel lonely on a regular basis. Sherry Turkle, 
is a professor at MIT. She wrote a book, Alone Together. Her research reveals we're just now seeing the impact of this. And here's the way, the word picture she described it. She said it's like sipping water. So every time you log on to Facebook, every time you're on Instagram, every time you send a tweet, every time you snap somebody, it's like taking a sip. You take a sip. You take a sip. So if you're on it all day long, you feel like you're drinking water all the time, and so then you're drinking enough water, right? But it's just the opposite. Relationally, you are dehydrated. It tricks the mind. You think you're drinking deep, and you're not even getting enough to survive. Look at this quote. I put it on the screen. Social media offers the illusion of companionship without the demands of a relationship. An illusion means it's not real. It's just not genuine. It doesn't feel you. Or if I could paraphrase it another way, it offers the illusion of connection without the demands of commitment. And it makes us feel more lonely than ever. Now, here's why that matters. You're thinking, why are we talking about this? This is Facebook. This is all that stuff. This is not church. Well, here's why that matters. When we bring that same kind of mindset to church, and why wouldn't we? If we're doing it in every other arena of life, we consider this in the church concept context. If we bring the same kind of thinking to our church, where we try to have a relationship without committing, we become frustrated and we end up feeling more lonely. We don't feel connected. We feel like it's not working. And so you know what we do? We complain and we say, it's the church's fault. It's the church's fault. They're the ones to blame. Something's wrong there. When in reality, what's missing is your own commitment. And so we're ready to give that. There's no church that's going to be good enough. Because again, notice the text here, what Paul talks about. He's very affectionate. You read through this, he seems emotional, even vulnerable as he talks about his strong feelings of commitment to these people. And he uses strong words, these family words, like a mother, like a father. You're my brothers. You're my family. And he uses these over and over again. Look again at the second part of verse 17. We endeavored the more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face. Great desire, intentional effort to be together. Now, some of you know this is to be true because it is absent in your life. Maybe you had somebody in your life where they weren't committed to you. And you felt that. You were on the receiving end of that. Not a lot of intentional effort there. Not an eagerness that Paul talks about. There was an absence. Or if I could put it another way, showing up. That's what we're talking about. The proof of commitment is showing up. It's being there. It's keeping your word. It's following through. It's showing up. And think about it. The greatest example of all time of showing up is Jesus, who showed up for you. He came to earth for you. He said, this is how committed I am to you. He died on the cross for you. And you remember what he said to his followers, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. That's Jesus showing up for you. When you're committed to a relationship, you show up. It just goes with it. And it's the little things that communicate the big picture. Parents, it's being at the school to pick up your child when you say you would. 
teens, it's being there for your friend when you told them you'd be there. Even at church, you show up to keep the nursery, to say a prayer, to serve. You show up because you're a part of the church. You show up because you're committed. And when other people know you're committed, when other people know you're committed and then you don't show up, you know what their first thought is? They're not angry with you. They're concerned something bad must have happened. They were in a car wreck. They're in the ER, something, or they would have been here because they're that committed to you. And you know, you would have heard from them. They would have been there. They're not going to write it off as well. They might show up. They may not. Or they're 30 minutes late. No. If you're committed, you are there. Folks, this goes against our culture. More now than ever before. Anybody tried to plan a wedding lately and send out an RSVP? Or a major event like that? You know. I was looking at all the percentages of how many people who say they are coming don't show. We as a culture, we just think, respond, say you're going to come, might show up, might not, think nothing about it. Even a church event, ask anybody who's tried to organize a church event how hard it is to get a commitment. And I think about this. It's not just church. Folks, this is our world. Think about in the sports world, we have created an event of committing to a college team, right? You've seen that? It's a commitment. And we put a table out, big display behind. We draw the family in, photographers there. They've got all the paraphernalia. It's a commitment day. We make a big deal about it because they made a commitment. Or did they? ESPN had an article that says, commits far from a sure thing in today's recruiting world. Let me just share two quotes. Here's one. Committed means, this is the definition. Committed means, hey, I like you, and I'm going to look around, and if I don't find anything better than, yeah, I'm going to stay with you. One athlete said that while he's committed to, and he listed a major university, that doesn't mean he's not going to see what else might be out there for him. Am I the only one on the planet that thinks that we're using the word commitment improperly? If you can say committed and then you can change your mind, and the article went on to talk about how many fans get mad at that athlete for changing their mind. I'm thinking, let's change the words. I'm with you today. Or I might come. If something better doesn't come along. Because that's really what's going on there. No wonder parents leave their kids sitting on the curb. No wonder teens stab their friends in the back. No wonder people sign up to do something at church they don't show. Folks, that's our culture. And we become so comfortable with it. When you're married, if you choose to marry, that means you say yes to the one and no to everyone else. When you are a parent, that means you show up when you say you will. When you're part of a church family, that means you're committed. You do your part. And that means you have to sacrifice some things, yes. That means you have to make it a priority, yes. Paul wanted to be with them. Eagerly was the word he used. And he tells them so. But then verse 18 he explains the problem. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So my, Paul makes it clear he wants to be there. 
Where, if we could put it this way, commitment to others is always going to be targeted by the enemy. If you try to commit, Satan knows that is like a bullet. That is like a target. He's going to go after that bullet. Like a lion that preys on a gazelle knows if you get that one out from the group, better chance of taking him down. And sometimes we think we can do okay by ourselves. And we can for a while, but it's only a matter of time until we get taken down. Satan targets you when you're by yourself. When you're not with other people who are also following Jesus. We're going to hold you accountable and pull you along and make sure that, that you're okay. That you're not being attacked. This is when you realize what Paul is saying. I need a church family. I need a brother. I need a sister. I need a mother. I need a father in the Lord. I need this kind of support. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And we see this as a church. One of Satan's favorite strategies is to divide God's people. That's why Jesus talked about unity. Remember his prayer in John 17? Unity that they all might be one. Philip Young is going to talk about this next week in our bilingual service because it is so important. Our commitment to each other. Our commitment to each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord must be greater than our personal preferences. Our commitment to each other must be greater than our language. Our commitment to each other must be greater than our political views or our clothing choices or the teams we cheer for. Our love for one another as family, brothers and sisters should override all of the non-essential preferences and opinions. And then in verse 19, Paul further affirms his love for them. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Look at what he writes there. Is it not you? You are our glory and joy. So to wrap up, then we ask the question, what is your glory? What is your joy? What is your crown? When Jesus returns and you're standing before him, what really matters? I was talking with someone on Friday and they made the statement about stuff. We're talking about houses and stuff that we accumulate through the years. And he said, if my house burned down, as long as nobody was in there, nobody was injured, I don't care. It's just stuff. You can get more stuff. What really matters is people. It's true, isn't it? What really matters is relationships. Some of you may remember, I think I've told you before, when my children were young and we talked about Jesus coming back, that I would tell them to kind of assure them. And it was also a, a, a goal of mine that the Lord would come back when my kids were little and we were all at home together, or at least we were all together. And that when we saw him coming in the sky, we just all grab hands, look at each other and go, let's go. We're ready. That was my goal. That was my dream. To eagerly look forward to his coming. You know why? Because my wife and my three children are my joy. They're my crown. They're my glory. I love them like no one else. And I want them to go to heaven. But Jesus didn't come back when they were little. Now my kids are grown. 
They're married. They're starting their own family. They're, they're living elsewhere. So when the Lord comes back, I can't just grab their hand because they're not right beside me. In the meantime, more and more of my friends are dying. So many good people in this church have left us. They're already there. So when the Lord comes back, what's going to matter? See, for me, I still share that connection with my children because their faith is in the Lord. And we'll meet them there. Just as we meet everybody who's already gone on before us. Even though our culture has increasing loneliness because people want the connection without the commitment, we must be different. If we believe in Jesus, if we believe he came for us, he showed up for us, he died for us, he's preparing a place for us, then we need to be ready for either that we die or that he comes back. And folks, when that day comes, we will meet him and we will look at each other and we will be each other's glory, joy, and crown. We've helped each other in that walk. That's what Paul wanted for the Thessalonians to know. Like a mother, like a father. You're my brother. You're my sisters. We're family. You're my joy. You're my glory. Our invitation song is to let you know Jesus showed up for you. He's committed you. And what he wants to know is if you're committed to him, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Are you willing to confess that? You're willing to have your sins washed away in baptism? Will you let him put his spirit in you? Will you let him prepare a place in heaven for you? Folks, heaven is not just about pearly gates and streets of gold. It's about being with Jesus. That's our goal. If we can pray for and encourage you in any way, won't you come as we stand and sing?